0: So good to be back with you guys. Uh, it's always good to gather with God's people. And I'm just going to say again what Ben said. We have a lot more good to receive from God today. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. And so let's receive that today. We're going to come here uh, believing today that the Holy Spirit, who's gone to prepare hearts to be ready to receive the Word of God today, that that, that Jesus is going to be made known I'm going to tell you right now, part of our vision here is to know Jesus and to be known by him. He knows you better than you know him and he knows where you're at right now and he wants to minister to you this morning and so let's have our hearts ready to uh, receive good things from God today. My prayer this morning is that from Jesus we would understand him to be the maker of all things new and we're going to see that today in our message and you might recall last week's message that pastor rob preached such a wonderful uh, teaching that um, led me to the end just of really so thankful of how god has lavished his love upon me and that is a love that is to be shared one to another and i think about how mary came to jesus there at that dinner party and she had that alabaster flask of, of precious ointment it was very expensive and she came and she broke it because she wanted to pour out a fragrant offering upon Jesus. And she was criticized for it. This was as if she was offering everything that she had, everything that was going for her, she laid it at Jesus' feet. And would that just, let, let's do that, right? Let's take all that we are, let's lay it at Jesus' feet today. Because when we bring things to Jesus, we understand that he does something. That he takes what is old in our lives and he makes them new he takes what is broken in our lives and he brings healing god is a a maker of things that are new and things that are good and so that's what we're going to see of jesus today and i had a great opportunity this last week as ben kai said to take the youth on a trip up to santa barbara It was our first ever youth camp as a church and it was a really fun time We took uh, 32 people with us. Super thankful for the 10 youth leaders that were there as well as the 22 students that we had with us. And uh, the term I like to use for what we did is that we hard charged. Everybody say that, hard charge. Okay, this is how you hard charge. In a short amount of time, you pack as much into it as you possibly can. That's what we did. We filled it with good food, with uh, good fun, and we, of course, grew in faith together. The theme of our camp was reconciled from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the youth learned about how we have received reconciliation in Jesus. And once we receive reconciliation in him, we've been given then a ministry of reconciliation. And I got to hear some awesome testimonies on the trip. One of the things I did is I just walked around to youth throughout the, the time we were together, and I just how have you experienced God's reconciliation in your life? And I heard a lot of great testimonies from, this, from the youth on that trip, but the best thing happened on the trip. You want to know the best thing that happened? One of our young men received Jesus as his Savior and became, yes, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, he became a new creation in Jesus Christ, and that's That's why we do what we do. And here we are today, so thankful for what God's doing in this church. You know, one of the things that was so amazing for me to be up in Santa Barbara is that was um, the church, Calvary, there, where I walked in when I was 17 years old and became a new creation in Christ. And then it was in that church that I was raised up and eventually became a youth pastor. And I got to see many young people come to know Jesus over the seven years that I was a youth pastor there. And then I got to just see as generations were coming up, one of the awesome things was to see students that I used to pastor now being youth leaders in the youth ministry there. And then coming back here to Palos Verdes, knowing that God has started a new work here. That this church is a new ministry, a ministry of reconciliation where death is swallowed up by life because Jesus died for all. And we get to experience that as a church together. And we're only, we're not even a year old as a local church. But already seeing the salvation that is going forth and being so blessed to to see God's salvation go to a new generation is, is amazing. As we gather every Sunday, you need to be reminded of the fact that right there up in those rooms and down there in the hallways, there are little ones hearing the good news of Jesus. Be praying for our teachers, be praying for our students because God is always doing a new thing by bringing a new generation to know him. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, while I was studying the scripture that we have before us today in Mark chapter 14, I got to see again all of the incredible blessings that are given to us when we enter into this new covenant through Jesus Christ. And so today what I hope to do is highlight for us some of the new blessings that we experience in Jesus. And at the end of this Uh, teaching today, we're going to be receiving communion. I know we received it last week, but we uh, are are being introduced and there's an institution of the Lord's Supper here in our text today. And we get to experience that together. And so today we get to participate together in the newness of God. So be ready for that at the end of the message. So looking now in Mark chapter 14, with your Bibles open, let's start at verse 12. I'm going to pray for us. And then read that first verse. Here we go. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the work that you're doing in a new generation. Because you, God, are always doing new things. God, for older generations that were gathered in here, Lord, maybe we've done this a lot. We've gathered Sunday after Sunday. We've received communion many times. We've worshipped and heard these songs that we've said many times. But God, any time we gather as your people, we believe, Lord, that by your spirit and by your word, you can do a new thing in us. So, Lord, let let us be alert. Let us be awake to what you want to do, what you want to take in our lives, and bring newness to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 12, says this. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb... His disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So Jesus is with his disciples. They have been in and around Jerusalem now for some time. And the reason that they were there is because they were celebrating the time of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this was a week-long celebration where all of the families of Israel would travel in to be in the city of Jerusalem where the temple of God was. And together they would remember and they would celebrate the freedom and the victory that they experienced when God led his people out of slavery from the land of Egypt. And so Passover was this super important holiday for the Jews. And, you know, we understand something about holidays, right? It's this word that derives from holy days. We just celebrated a holiday, in fact, the 4th of July. And on holidays, we gather with friends and with families and with communities, and and we celebrate and we remember. And so for the 4th of July, you know, some of the traditions that we have as we you know, bear the colors of our flag. We barbecue and we light fireworks. And, and look, I'm new to the South Bay and this place knows how to do fireworks. <laughs> I was watching from Rob's backyard over, over Los Angeles and I was thinking that maybe the tribulation had started, right? <laughs> it's crazy to see what people do. I, I come from Santa Barbara, the, the land of forest fires. And so no fireworks like that. But it was amazing to see, and you know, we celebrate in that way. We remember in that way the things that are so good that God has done. And in Israel, one of their traditions was to eat a certain meal with their families. And the meal had many different foods that would be cooked, and yet the main part of that meal was the lamb. And each family was to prepare a lamb that would be sacrificed and it would be cooked, and it would be served to the families for a Passover meal. And maybe you have participated in what is called a Seder dinner, where um, you have these different elements on your plate, and you walk through of what each part of the meal represents, from the bitter herbs to the egg. But again, the center of this meal was the lamb that had been sacrificed for the sins. And it was on that first day of unleavened bread... ...that we're going to see what takes place. And Mark's going to tell us about the events of the day... ...but I want you to notice first before we move on from verse 12... ...what the disciples asked of Jesus. They said, where will you have us go and prepare to eat the Passover? And the first thing I see about this is the disciples just assumed... ...that they were going to be celebrating Passover. And that they were going to be celebrating it with Jesus... And the 12 disciples, these were all Jewish men, and so they would have grown up experiencing Passover with their families. I mean, it was just, there was never a thought that you would miss Passover. It was just expected that during this celebration of Passover that you were with your family, you were in Jerusalem for this week-long celebration, And the disciples just expected that they would be spending this Passover with Jesus. Now, what does this tell us? Well, this tells me that for the three years that Jesus has now been with his disciples, that he's been making a family. As I said, every Jewish person would be with their family for Passover. And so these men, they all had families that they could have gone to be with, but they're going to be with Jesus for Passover, because they had this certain depth of relationship with their master, with their teacher, with their friend, that he had started with them a family, and, and this is certainly true. I, I hope you know it, if you are a Christian, if you're in the church, that you understand that God has made a new family, it's one of the blessings of the new covenant, is that You know, the family of God, it it doesn't have to replace your biological family. Uh, Some of you have wonderful families. But what the family of God certainly can do is it can supplement your family. Another thing it can do is it can make up for any lack of family that you have. Because when you come into a relationship with Jesus, he gives you a new father. And Jesus becomes your brother, and therefore, all believers in Christ become your brothers and sisters. And I was just talking to one of the students this week when I asked that question, how have you experienced reconciliation in your life? And you want to know what, what I heard him say? He said, you know, I didn't grow up with a dad. But something I've learned recently is that God is a father to me. I was like ready to cry. And, and I feel that I experienced that when I came into the church I think about where I would be if I didn't have spiritual mothers and fathers if I didn't have the brothers and the sisters in Christ that I've been able to walk with because I was born again and brought into a new family so I hope you experience that and I know that this is some elementary things of the Christian faith but don't forget church that we are a family and that as family you can become spiritual mothers and fathers especially to a next generation being with the youth this week uh, we have a generation following who are growing up with fatherless homes and motherless homes and you church get to be spiritual mothers and fathers to people Again, where would I be without those people in Santa Barbara who were that in my life? And so certainly having a family in Christ is one of the great blessings of the new Covenant. And so Jesus was happy to celebrate this with his 12 disciples. And so he sends them out to prepare for it. Read now in verses 13 through 15 what he does. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room, and where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. This kind of reminds me of my week with the youth. I'm talking a lot about this trip just because it's, fresh on my mind, but I had the details all planned out for the trip. You know, I talked about how we just hard-charged. I just packed in everything that I could think of. McConnell's ice cream, Los cigar. It was really just for me. (laughs) (sighs) And and we were there, and we had a full, you know, schedule to do. But I, I didn't tell the students everything that we were doing. What they had to do is they had to find out Uh, as each day I told them what we were going to do, and they had to follow and do the activities and trust that they were going to be fun, right? And so Jesus had a plan for how he was going to spend Passover with his disciples, and he's going to give the disciples some instructions for it, but the disciples in verse 12, it seems that they have no clue what the plan is for Passover, They don't know what they're going to do and where they're going to eat. And so they asked Jesus how they could go and how they could go prepare. But really, they, they just needed Jesus to give them the details. He had the plan and they needed it from him. So Jesus, thankfully, was prepared with the details. He had a plan all laid out. We saw there how he knew the place where they were going to have the meal. He knew how the disciples would find that place and what the place would look like once they got there. And it's, it's likely that Jesus did a lot of beforehand preparation for this to happen. And the disciples were totally unaware that Jesus was making these plans. Does that sound a little familiar to life with God sometimes? He's making plans and you have no clue. Jesus knew that Jerusalem was packed out during this week. And that there were all these people ready to celebrate. And it would be hard to find a space for the size of the group that they had. And so he knew also how the religious leaders were already conspiring within their hearts to to kill him. That Judas was already looking to tip off the religious leaders of where he was so that they could arrest him. And we see here how Jesus planned out this Passover meal and he does it kind of discreetly, right? The meal was going to be very important. Jesus wanted to make sure that they had the proper place and the proper setting for him to institute this supper that he was going to teach his disciples so that they could teach others and those could teach others. Jesus wanted this meal to happen and it was very important for him to do it. And so did you notice in there some of the details that Jesus had in planning and preparing for the Passover meal? It was in the city. And in the city there was a man who was going to carry a jar of water and he was going to meet the disciples and this is a cool little discreet detail because in that day and in that culture men didn't carry water in in jars Um, that's something that women women would do men carried water in leather skins and pouches and so, for Jesus to say, you will find a man carrying a jar of water, means that this was a detail that the disciples could spot amongst the upwards to millions of Jewish people that were in the city at that time. See, men, as I said, didn't carry jars of water. It, it'd be like today if a man was carrying a purse, right? No man wants to be spotted carrying a purse, <laughs> right? Women. Have mercy on your husband if you have them hold that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't mind it. It's not that big a deal. But we don't right? We don't know where this man was and who he really is. And really, we don't know how Jesus communicated with him and how he would be the point person for the disciples to find him. It could have been some miraculous divine intervention, this divine appointment. Or it could have been that Jesus found a man prior and told him what he wanted him to do. And if, if Jesus told the man right that he would be spotted by the disciples holding a jar of water in public, you, you kind of wonder how the man felt about doing something kind of embarrassing for Jesus in public. But look, sometimes God calls us to do things that might be a little bit embarrassing for us. And so the disciples found the man who was carrying the jar of water. And after finding that man, they were supposed to follow him and he would take them to a house that was in the city. Because Passover had to be eaten in the city. It, it was in Jerusalem where the Jews would come in and they would gather for, for this celebration. But to find a house in Jerusalem, as I said, upwards to millions of people would travel into Jerusalem at that time. It's like no Airbnb's are like available at this time. And so for Jesus to find a house in Jerusalem for this meal was a very special privilege. And not only did Jesus arrange for his disciples to meet eat the meal in a house, but we're also told that it was in the upper room of a house. Meaning that the house had multiple levels. See, to have a house in the city with multiple levels, meant that it was a very nice house. And the house didn't have any old upper room. You saw there it said it was a large upper room and it was furnished. Meaning that Jesus went all out for this meal. And he wanted this meal to be memorable for the disciples. So he prepared it to be the best that it could possibly be. And something I understand about Jesus is that Jesus is someone who does things well. You know, that was said about him earlier in the Gospel of Mark where the crowds were seeing Jesus do all of these miracles. He was healing people and he was delivering people. And they made a statement about him. He says he has done all things well. But notice what is required for Jesus to do things well. I want you to see this, is that we have to participate with him in it. Jesus prepared all the plans and all the details for his disciples to go and have this wonderful, extravagant meal for Passover in this large, upper room, furnished house. But Jesus said to his disciples, go prepare for us. See, the man with the water jug, he had his part in the plan. Without him playing his small and unique role, the disciples never would have found that upper room. And then the master of the house, he had his part to play as well. He had to be generous with his home. How many other people could he have given that space to? You even wonder if Jesus could have even afforded to sort of rent the space. Seems that it was probably a gift to him. And so you, you have to understand how the master of his house, even though he could have rented out, even though he could have used it for his own family, he instead gives this furnished upper room to be used by Jesus and his disciples. See, Jesus made all the preparation and his plans were excellent but for us to live out the plans we have to go and participate with God in them see God does his work well but we work together with Jesus to experience these wonderful moments that God has planned for us See, as I'm saying all this, it reminds me of a certain scripture. Maybe the scripture has already come to your mind. From Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says this, For we are his workmanship. It's a beautiful Greek word. It's the word poema. It's where we get our word poem. God's writing out the poem of your life. Each stanza is written for you to live out. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about is that God has good works for you to do and he has prepared them beforehand for you to do them. And the details are all laid out and they're excellent plans, but you have to walk in them. You have to trust God that he knows what the details of your life are. And that his plans for you are good. In fact, they're excellent. Because he does all things well. And you have to walk in those plans and believe that Jesus has good things for your life. And this, of course, does not mean that bad things won't happen in your life. Don't forget that this meal preceded Jesus being betrayed and crucified. But God takes bad things and makes them good. Verse 16 says, and the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he told them. I love that. And they prepared the Passover. See the excuse me. <clears throat> the disciples listened to their teacher, right? They they trusted in how the plan would unfold. I, I love that statement. They they set out and they went into the city, and it says, they found it just as he told them and then they prepared couple things to notice look at the words set out went found prepared what what do those words all have in common they're action words they're verbs they're, they're people taking active steps of trusting obedience in jesus so when jesus tells you to go and do something, just as he told the disciples to go and to prepare the Passover, you're going to discover the good things that God has planned in your life when you go and walk in them. When you receive instructions from Jesus, you need to respond by going where he tells you to go and doing what he tells you to do. And when you go and when you do the things that God tells you to do, you will find them to be just as he told you they would be. I was talking to Rob this morning. It's it's, just—it's like if you follow the word of God, again, it doesn't mean bad things might not happen in your life. We understand as Christians that we can encounter suffering because we live in a fallen world. But if you follow the instruction of God's word, which he has good works for you to walk in, it's going to go well with you. It's going to go well with you. So following God's word is so key. And that's what the disciples do. And so they found this upper room. Look at verse 17 through 21 as they found it. And when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, One after another, is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of God is, or Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So Jesus arrives there in the evening with the disciples in that upper room in the city. And, and the meal was set. It was all prepared, ready to eat the Passover. And let me just kind of describe what it was like, just so you kind of have a mental picture as we move forward. Is in this upper room, there would have been a low table. This is how they ate in that culture and in that time. And, and meals, in Jewish culture, it, it's like, it is everything. It is long, it's drawn out, it's a full ordeal because you're gonna you're gonna hang. You're gonna spend some time talking and fellowshipping and loving one another. You do it with your family and with your friends. If you share a meal, it means I am in relationship with you. And in these rooms they would have these low tables. There weren't chairs around the table. Um, it was a low table, kind of like a, a big coffee table and the disciples with Jesus would have reclined around the table, maybe, you know, kind of resting on a shoulder with pillows on the ground. We, we hear even of the disciple John, how he would rest his head upon Jesus's chest as they just fellowshiped and, and spent time around the table. And the meals were shared. Everyone just kind of dipped in and grabbed and reaching over the table. And it was these beautiful times of celebration, something that I believe our culture can really learn from. And so now at this point in the meal, Jesus has something to tell his disciples as they're all reclined down on the table. They're all listening to Jesus as he's speaking. And he says to them that there in the midst of them There was someone who was sharing that meal. There was a friend among them who would betray him. And this just hit hard. I mean, it was like the dinner party came to a screeching halt. The joy and the celebration and the remembrance of Passover and this really relaxed occasion and environment really turned turned the tide. It, It told us there that they all became sorrowful. And they all became introspective, asking Jesus one after another, in verse 19, is it I? And man, as as I was looking at that verse, I so appreciated what I saw from the disciples. When they asked that disciple, is it I? Because... I see this as something of a change that's occurred in the disciples. These were the guys that were arguing and bickering amongst each other about who was the greatest. Jesus was always settling them down and saying, hey, look at the children, be like them. And and here they are asking the question, is it I? You know, James isn't saying, oh, it's for sure Peter. And and John isn't saying, it's got to be Bartholomew, that guy's sketchy. They're looking inward. They're examining their own hearts before Jesus. They're asking him, is it I? And they're hoping that it's not their love and their loyalty that is lacking for Jesus. None of these men wanted to be the betrayer. But what they were seeing was they were seeing the capacity in themselves to be one. They recognized Their fallenness. They recognized their own sin. They weren't pointing fingers at other people's sin. They were looking within themselves, recognizing their own capacity to betray Jesus. And they were saying, Jesus, is it me? Is it I? And Jesus said in verse 20 to 21, he tells them, it is one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me for the son of man goes as is written of him but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed it would have been better for that man if he had not been born see Jesus knew who would betray him and the betrayer knew it too spoiler alert uh, Rob spoiled it last week in the text it's Judas Iscariot who betrays Jesus probably know this in the coming weeks, we're going to learn how Judas betrayed Jesus. But, but what's wild to me is this, is that all this time that Judas was seeking an opportunity to betray Jesus, Jesus was just simply moving in the Father's plan. Had Judas known beforehand where that dinner party was, you kind of wonder if Judas would have tipped him off of the location and had him arrested there. But Jesus planned it discreetly because he still had things to do. And Jesus knew that nobody could take his life. He was going to lay it down. See, the plans of Judas were subservient to God's plans. All of our plans are always subservient to God's plans. And Jesus had a meal to enjoy with his friends. And at that meal, I believe he was giving his friend Judas Another opportunity to repent, to turn from his plan of sin and betrayal. And when Jesus said that the betrayer was the one who dipped bread in the dish with him, Judas, I think, knew that Jesus knew it was him. And I think that uh, that Judas knew that the disciples had no clue it was him. And here they were dipping bread into the same dish because that's what friends do when they enjoy a meal together. And Jesus is saying to them, Uh, This is a close companion of mine who will betray me. And, And isn't this amazing about Jesus? Because this is how Jesus usually calls us to repentance. This is something we can learn about Jesus, even in the way that he dealt with Judas, is that Jesus comes to us privately and patiently. He speaks to you quietly. He gives you those loving and soft glances so that you would know that he knows what your sin is he's not coming trying to expose you and blatantly tell everybody about your sin jesus comes to you and he knows your sin and he gives you these loving and these gentle and these subtle warnings and he wants you to know that he knows and that should be enough for us to repent who cares if other people know about your sin? It should be enough that Jesus knows. And if you know that he knows, it should be enough for you to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus because he loves you. And it's his kindness that is drawing you to repentance. Amen? Amen. Jesus said that the disciples, to the disciples that the betrayer was prophesied about said, for the son of man goes as it is written of him. Jesus was going to the cross to be the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the earth. God had already predetermined that Jesus was going to go to the cross. This was God's sovereign plan to slay the son. And yet, Judas was still responsible for his action of betraying Jesus. And, and, and Jesus said it would have been better had he not been born endless theological questions could be risen up around the man judas and i'm not going to this morning turn over every stone and try to answer every question because this is what i'm satisfied to know is that god was sovereign in allowing judas to be the one to betray jesus the son of god judas in his betrayer was actually fulfilling scripture and Judas was responsible for betraying Jesus, the son of God. And because he chose to go through with his plans of evil betrayal, he received judgment for it. God was sovereign and Judas was responsible. And there is no contradiction there. No contradiction there. Jesus loved Judas. He loved him as perfectly as he loved the other 11. And again, I believe that when Jesus said those words at the Passover meal, he was giving an opportunity for Judas to repent. And I I believe Judas could have repented. He could have turned from his wicked plan, except he chose to reject Jesus. And for that, he received the judgment for it. And after these words, Jesus announcing the betrayal that will happen And the whole tone of the night has shifted. It's become somber, and there's this deep introspection. He then turns to give them an opportunity to understand something new that Jesus was about to do. And and as we end here this morning, I'm going to call the worship team up because we're going to end this um, service this morning by Doing what Jesus instructed his disciples to do at that Passover meal. And so this morning, in our text today, we have where Jesus introduces the new covenant. And he institutes what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And so if you uh, came in this morning, you should have received a cup. And if you need one, you could raise your hand right now. And we've got some ushers who can come and pass them out to you. As as those are being passed out, um, let me read the portion of scripture here with the communion. I'll just give a moment to pass those cups out. Alright, so this is verse 22 and 25, and this is how we're going to close out our service this morning. It says... And as they were eating, God, picture it, right? Grab your cup and then picture it right here in your minds. Imagine yourself in that upper room. Even imagine yourself reclining around the table with Jesus. Take a moment to just get settled and to think about this moment that Jesus had for his disciples. It says, and as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it here as we enter service we're gonna enter into this this practice together of of taking of the lord's supper this was instituted by jesus nearly two thousand years ago and believers are instructed to do this as often as we gather in remembrance of jesus you know we as a church uh we we receive communion together the first sunday of the month we received communion last sunday and, and there's no theological reason for that it's simply practical and um this morning we're gonna take communion because that, that's where we are in the scriptures. Jesus instituted this. And you know, another practical thing is that we, we pass out these individual cups and let's be honest, these things are not great. <laughs> let's just be honest. Like, ah oh man, like I want a nice piece of bread that Jesus broke in a cup that, you know, maybe not all share, but you know, we, we don't share because sanitation reasons and all that. Um Jen was telling me this morning that one of the little kids was like, look at this awesome snack pack. I was like, yes. Communion snack pack. So good. But listen, we we have what we're working with. And if you're watching online and you want to gather together some elements at home and participate in communion with us, you can. But the elements are simple. And here's the thing, you don't need to only do it Once a month on Sundays, when you're gathered with us here, because Jesus said, Anytime you gather with believers, you can receive communion. You could do it at home, around a meal, either before or during or after a meal. That's what Jesus did with his disciples, it was just kind of in the middle of their dinner together. He took some bread, and that's what you need. You just need some bread and you need something to drink, a cup. And if you're a believer, and you're gathered with other believers and you have bread and something to drink, you can bless those elements with prayer and you can eat and you can drink and you can remember the death of Jesus. Do that as often as you gather. See what Jesus did is he took a piece of bread and we blessed it through prayer. He passed it to the disciples. And once the disciples all had the bread, they held it and he said, take this is my body and jesus is saying that to you today by his living word jesus is speaking those words still to us today as as i have been his ambassador to proclaim this this thing this new thing that jesus told us to do always until he comes and he said if you understand what i mean by these words that this is my body if you can discern the body as paul says in in corinthians 11 You understand what that bread represents. His body was nailed to a cross for you. And he said, you can take, this is my body. Just take a moment right now with Jesus. If you discern the body to take and to eat. know if if you're not a disciple of jesus and you are like what are they doing right now (laughs) you know in fact when jesus first kind of as a precursor to this he he was talking to some disciples he said my body is true food and my blood is true drink (laughs) and there were some there were some people that were following who were like peace out and they left him and they no longer followed him. And Jesus even turned to his own disciples and said, do you want to leave too? And, Jesus, and the disciples said to Jesus, oh, but Jesus, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And if you've taken that bread, you've discerned, oh, his body satisfies for eternity. You will never hunger again because of Jesus. And in the same way, he took the cup. He was talking to his disciples. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And each of us have a cup. And Jesus had a cup for his disciples to all drink from. And it's not so much the size of the cup, or the contents of the cup, or how it really tastes, it's simply what Jesus was pointing to and what it represents. It, it was the fruit of the vine speaking of the color of the red that it was his crimson blood which would be shed upon the cross because we believe as we look at a cup that is of this color we discern that his body was crucified and from it his blood flowed And that it's by his blood that we are cleansed, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's why all those lambs were sacrificed for the Passover, going back to the time when they took the blood and they put it over the doorpost of their family's home, because as the angel of death passed over, and if the blood was there, they would live. In the same way, we see the cup and we discern it, and we say, it's by the blood of Jesus that I have life. It's by the blood of Jesus that I'm forgiven, that I'm cleansed. Uh, time past will not cleanse me my good outweighing my bad will not cleanse me Uh, my religious actions will not cleanse me only the blood of jesus can cleanse me of my sin i have been stained by sin every single one of us and only one solution has been given and it is the blood of jesus christ so when we take of the cup we look at it guys and we say Jesus, you know what I know. I know the sin that's in me and I know that you know the sin that's in me. There's nothing else that's gonna remove that sin except your blood. So you look at the cup and you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent of it. I turn from it and I turn to you. Thank you for being kind to me. Thank you for being patient, for being gracious. I, I confess my sin. I agree with you that it is killing me, and it is, it is, it is hurting me, and it's hurting others around me. I confess my sin to you, and I believe that only your blood can cleanse me. And so if you've prayed that, and you believe that, and you discern what the cup does for you, you can receive the cup. Said, This is my body, <clears throat> this is my blood, sorry, of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in his kingdom. Jesus took that Passover meal. He instructed his disciples so that they could teach the next generation, and that generation would teach the next generation. And so for new, nearly 2,000 years, generation after generation of the church has instructed one another of what the body and the blood means it means that he died for us and that only through him can we have reconciliation it's only by Jesus and after doing that they left the house in verse 26 when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives that's what we're going to do together as we all stand up together we're going to sing to jesus the reason why we teach god's word is because we believe it's living and active sharper than any two-edged sword and it cuts and divides right into your heart if god's word has spoken to you today it produces faith in you so that you can know jesus i pray you're closer to jesus today that god's done a new thing in you today by his word we We take communion because that is what the lord instructed us to do and now we sing and and you know why do we sing as a church it's interesting come in and you sing and you end the message and you sing and maybe you're like i don't like singing it's okay god likes when we sing god said i like to hear my people exalt me through song and through praise and guess what jesus sang a hymn who knows if he had a good voice or not he's perfect maybe he had a wonderful one better than nicks but we got this wonderful worship team here to lead us in a song of praise this is our opportunity to exalt jesus in our midst and say you are good lord you are faithful you are a savior amen let's worship